Hey gang, welcome to episode 82 of the No Proscenium podcast, your guide to immersive entertainment, brought to you by listeners like you. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from Los Angeles, and if you listen close, you can hear the sound of birds, because uh, it's raining cats and dogs, and when cats and dogs fall out of the sky, birds like to talk about it. Um, but this is not the weather report. Oh, no, no, no. This is No Persinium, our guest on the show today. And this is a very large episode um, in terms of length is our friend John O'Malley. John has had a story career, storied career behind the scenes in Immersive. He was on the original uh, production team uh, for uh, the McKittrick Hotel edition of Sleep No More in New York City. Uh, he's worked at CAA. Right now, he's working for a group called Space in the Raw, who are sort of a, a pivot point between real estate developers and artists. So we crack in in this episode into a lot, and we talk the business in depth. So if you're into super wonky discussions about the really real, this one is for you. I love this conversation. You can tell how excited I get about the the nuts and bolts stuff and this is a very nuts and bolts discussion and then towards the end we start talking about disneyland why because we're nerds all right that's coming up in a little bit but a lot of you i know you're eager for the news and notes so let's get into it let's start in san francisco our good friends at foma labs you can roll back in the feed and find our episode with them they're looking for volunteers for a special event that's happening at the battery club in sf now the battery club is a private club but FOMA Labs is looking to get folks outside of their normal network to, you know, be like performers, work some crew positions. Um, this is a chance to see those guys do their thing, and their thing is a pretty good thing. So if you're up in San Francisco, if you're on the creative side, and you want to jump in, uh, check out our Facebook feed because we reposted Uriah's a note about looking for volunteers. This is coming up in April, so you got a little bit of time. Uh, before you will be involved, but I'd recommend it. Also up in San Francisco, our man in SF, Albert, is co-hosting a workshop on theater of the oppressed methods this uh, next week on the 25th. Let me double check that for you right now. Yes, January 25th, theater of the oppressed workshop in at the Rathskeller Club. The Rathskeller Club is another club up in San Francisco. Uh, has a lot of great events. Uh, Foma Labs did one. Uh, and I know several of you who listen to the show are involved. And indeed, if I lived up in SF, I'd probably be involved too. So you want to go check that out. Uh, it's going to be uh, a, an interesting talk on some methods that uh, have influenced immersive as a whole. Let's jump over to Los Angeles. We had a massive issue last week. You're going to want to go back into your email and fish that out if you haven't checked it out already. And I know exactly how many people checked it out. So I'm telling you, it came out on a Sunday and I think some of you, you didn't open it up and you, you, you are naughty, 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 naughty. You want to open this issue up. Uh, it is well worth it. Um, tons of stuff in there. So go check that out. Check your email. Check back in the feed. Um, I'll, I'll post a link. Sure. Why not? It helps. Everything goes in the feeds. Everything goes in the feeds. But here's the new news. So our friend Annie Saunders, who was our very first guest, she was actually in the Zero episode that we posted on SoundCloud before we had this podcast feed. Um, Annie Saunders, who is the creator of The Day Shall Declare It, co-creator of The Day Shall Declare It, uh, be accurate, Nelson, always be accurate. Um, she's got a, a project coming up uh, this coming week, Thursday the 26th, here in L.A., 
um, that she needs runners for. I don't mean like people to like production assistant run. I mean like people who run. So they're looking for them. Uh, we've posted that also on the FB. You know, for someone who hates Facebook, I put a lot of things on Facebook, but that's just because you guys put things on Facebook. So let's find another way to do this. Anyway, um, I mean, come on, Mark Zuckerberg's running for president already. I mean, let's just be real here. Um, yeah, I told myself I wasn't going to get political, but I had to. Uh, it's just going to happen now, guys. I'm sorry. Um, anyway, Annie, Facebook, that's for the link. I think she's still looking for runners. That was definitely true uh, yesterday, this past Thursday. It's almost certainly still true here, Friday, January 20th, 2017. Also in LA, tickets are now on sale. They are on sale now for Disco Dining Club's second anniversary. Both the meal and the event that's happening Saturday the 28th in Los Angeles. Yes, Saturday the 28th in Los Angeles. I was blanking because like there's a lot going on next weekend because Night on Broadway is happening. Uh, the Micro Theater LA thing that's that's going on on the west side is happening the 28th and the 29th. So suddenly my calendar popped up in front of me. I was like, ah, too much to do. Um, but it's based on enough that I'll, you know, we'll be, we'll be able to check it all out. We'll be able to check it all out. Another, but anyway, go check out the links because we didn't have the link in that last issue because tickets weren't on sale yet, but they're on sale now. And there's going to be like an immersive adventure um, on on the second tier of it uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. So if if you're interested in the immersive side and the party, that's one level of ticket. And then the full dinner is another level of ticket. Um, And I hear nothing but good things about Disco Dining Club. And I think I might call for a second. So hold on. Oh yeah, still fighting that cold. Um, here's another big, another big piece of news. Two Bit Circus has closed fifteen million dollars in Series B funding. Now we don't usually do money news, but our friends at Two Bit Circus, this is a big piece of news, and they've announced a new portfolio of next generation micro amusement parks using the latest technology to thrill, engage, and inspire. And the first one's going to be opening here in Los Angeles. So, got a feeling we're going to be talking to Brent and Eric pretty soon about what they have up their sleeves and we're gonna be doing that in more than one format but that is not all that is going on in the world the first issue well the first issue of our reborn midwest edition comes out this weekend we've got our friend megan riley jumping in to help with the curation along with dean corin so it is a two-person operation now got a great note from megan in the letter inside that issue and we've got stuff popping out from all over um it's it's always unique out there in the midwest and i am excited about uh more sets of eyes bringing you even more interesting experiments in engagement um, so that comes out this weekend and a couple more things. Um, I mentioned a second ago that we're going to be able to talk to Brent and Eric of two bit circus in some interesting formats. Maybe uh, one of those interesting formats is I know I've got Eric lined up. Uh, we're going to schedule it out, uh, as one of the slack guests. So I've been talking about this a bit. Um, we've started a slack channel. Slack is a messaging it's, usually, it's really like a work group thing. People use it for work all the time. But there are also communities on Slack. And No Persinium now has a community on Slack. Our, our community is pretty much the exact kind of wonkiness that you get here in the podcast and in the newsletters. So we're talking about immersive theater. We're talking about VR. We're talking about all the 
the things that define this space. Um, and we sort of pop in when we can. And every once in a while, I'm starting to throw an event. Uh, I'll put down some office hours and say, hey, from, you know, five to seven, I'm going to be in here, you know, come hang out, talk, let's chat. We're also going to kind of steal a little thing from Reddit. We're going to do AMAs or Ask Me Anythings, and we're going to have guests lined up. I will always announce those guests at least 48 hours in advance to everyone who's on the Slack channel, and I'm going to start announcing that on the Twitter and the Facebook as well, because I want you guys in there uh, and engaging and talking to folks. So next week, we're gonna I've got a couple of folks that I'm talking to who have been who are either going to or are going to be at Sundance checking out the new frontier. We're going to try and bring them in and get a field report on what's going on there this weekend and for the next week and a half, really. I mean, Sundance goes on forever, and I love it. Um, and we're also going to have Eric on at some point, and I've got a few other special guests kind of in my back pocket. So I'm going to try and get at least one AMA a week going forward for a while. I definitely want to talk to the 2-Bit Circus guys uh, just in general, but now we've even got something specific to talk about. So if you want to get in on that Slack, email me, no underscore proscenium at outlook.com. That's the email. All right. Finally, before we get into the episode proper, I need to thank our latest Patreon backers. Right now, as you well know, the Patreon is the sole source of support for the newsletter and the podcast. You guys are it. This the, your affiliate. We don't have a corporate backer. We don't have you know. There's no ads going on right now. We're definitely open. If it's the right fit, you know, we're very very particular about you know who our sponsors are. It's got to be the, the right thing. We're not just going to like throw a show in there. But that's another that's a conversation for another day. Want to thank our latest Patreon backers. First up, Tim Redman. Thank you for becoming uh, the the latest backer. And also Taylor Winters of Haunting Mag. Uh, which is a, a brand new publication aimed at uh, first timers to immersive events and to uh, immersive fans. Uh, kind of got you, know, you can tell from Haunting Mag, it's got a horror bent because uh, that's the world uh, that Taylor came out of. Uh, Taylor's the, the also our other latest backer here uh, of No Proscenium, and thank you so much for doing that. And you can become a backer of No Persinium and hear your name right here on the show. Um, it feels silly, but it's true. Patreon.com slash No Persinium. That's how you help us out. All right. That's all the business. That's all the news and notes. What you're about to hear is really an excellent conversation. Hold on again. <coughs> it won't go away. I may be dying. Um... It's, um, no, don't worry. I don't think I'm actually dying. This is a great conversation with John O'Malley. Uh, he has worn so many hats in this business, uh, for so many years. Um, we, we, this is our, it's also one of those fun times you get to hear the first conversation I have with someone about this. Those, those are increasingly rare these days on the show. So, uh, I'll admit it. We start we start a little slow. There's kind of this little like, who exactly what get kind of generic, and then, and then, and a little bit of ways into the episode, we kind of crack in, and then lose all sense of time. So I hope that on this weekend, with with all that's going on, that we get to take you into a really great conversation, and you can lose yourself. Dare I say, you can immerse yourself in it. Oh God, who's this pun person? All oh, right, I work in public radio. It's just who I am.
Ladies and gentlemen, John O'Malley. This is always an informal conversation. I feel weird having the headphones on, but I'm just going to leave them on. Um, so we usually just stumble into it. So, John, thanks for letting me record you at, here at your apartment. At mansion. Mansion. Oh, sorry. <laughs> at, your, at your palatial estate. You know, from this room, i got to say, though, from this room, uh, I, could, I could believe it was a palatial estate. <laughs> well, Jeffrey will be coming down soon to give us an afternoon tea. Fantastic. Fantastic. There, there is a portrait of Teddy Roosevelt <laughs> on, a, on a very dark blue accent wall. So it feels, it feels a little palatial. Um, John, your, your relatively recent transplant to Los Angeles from New York, you were, you were involved in the New York immersive scene for a while. So maybe start there. What was, what was your introduction to immersive in, in New York City? So I was working as a performer. Um, I went to school for it. And I returned from a job and I was just like, you know what? This is it. I'm done. I'm not performing anymore. I have no interest. Um, but I still want to stay uh, on the other side of things, or in the business at least. And uh, I started working for this management company, which I won't say what it is, but it was horrible. And I've never, I've actually never quit a job, like call and say I quit a job in my life. And this was one of those I called and quit my job. Um, so it was 30 days back in the city from a job, from work, and I had just quit my job. And I was looking for new work, and an old friend uh, and business partner of, um, that I had in New York, Vance Garrett, called me up and was like, hey, I'm working on this crazy show. I can't really describe it, but I know that they're looking for team uh, a team for the producing side of things uh, to help get, re- get everything going. Um, so I went in, uh, I interviewed for one of the producers, and got brought on, and that was the beginning of my time with Sleep Noir. Um, and, you know, as, as we were preparing to come today, I started to kind of think back on different moments and at least New York immersive stuff. And the the one defining moment that I remember about pre-opening with Sleep No More was how it felt like we were putting on a show. Like, mm. let's all do this and let's put on a show. It didn't feel like this is a multi-million dollar investment. You know, this company has been around for years and years and years. I barely knew. I mean, I, I worked every day with Livy and Felix and the team from Punch Trunk, but I didn't really have a sense of like what they had done. Cause I'd never see it. I didn't see it in Boston. Um, I hadn't seen it ever in London. Um, I had some friends that have seen their shows in London, like red mask and that kind of, um, and some of their other stuff. So I had really no expectation. Uh, and then, you know, we opened, you know, first two weeks, we didn't even have the, the Manderlay wasn't the Manderlay the first two weeks, the first two weeks, it was just a holding room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have a bar, we never liquor license. So we served punch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just weird moments. Like, every, you know, we didn't have programs. We didn't have any of those things. It was kind of like every night we changed the way that the audience was entering to find out the most efficient way to get them into the show, how they were exiting. Um, yeah, it was like a, and then it was just like, I remember it was like one day in April, it just like clicked and mm. suddenly it was, you know, madness. Well, was it, 
was it a word of mouth thing or was it that like the New York Times like dropped in and was a gaga or you know they came in and they did their feature and I was I remember that day that they came in and they were photographing and everyone was a buzz um, they did like this feature on the design of the show and so mm-hmm. they came in and like uh, Maxine and Felix let them shoot some and Livy let them shoot some rooms and they kind of talked about the rooms as opposed to the show and then I remember the producers originally gave everyone that was on staff uh, five tickets for $10. Oh, wow. And we gave those tickets out to people. And at one point I was talking to Felix and he, he, I was like, so, you know, everyone talks about, you know, the show will sell out, the show will sell out. And he was like, and, and I have to preface that it was like the most like modest calm like not trying to over inflate the show it was just like no this is it's the way it happens with our shows like it'll be about five weeks of word of mouth getting out there and then it'll just start selling out and yeah. it did it was it was almost like on cue yeah so well and that's I mean and I think that's like you know him knowing the rhythm of it yeah. and and this work because because the initial contact is always so there's this thing, and I can't really describe it, right? At least, at least in the, the the first initial years, even here in LA, you know, uh, those of us who like know immersive will will maybe refer to Sleep No More or Then She Fell, and you'll get these blank stares. Yeah. And so then I start going like, okay, it's like a dark ride at Disneyland, and and nowadays it's like, okay, it's like Westworld, but you. You can't have sex with the characters. <laughs> like, you can't kill anybody. You can't fuck anybody. Um, but other than that, it's like Westworld. Um, so we have that now. But that initial before there was Sleep No More, it's like, yeah, how 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 would you describe that show? And and so thus it becomes, and that becomes the mystique, and that becomes the thing. People start seeing it, so the word of mouth just goes and goes and goes. And suddenly, yeah, and like you know, there was I have a theater background, and you know, after the show, I ended up going and working at Creative Artists Agency for a bit, working in their theater department, and so I was even more uh, immersed in the theater community of New York, at least the commercial portion of the uh, the theater community there, and. You know, it, it's all happened before. You know, like, uh, immersive is just a different word for site-specific. It's just a different word for environmental. It's just a different word for another experience that's happened before. So, mm-hmm. like, is it the most revolutionary show? Probably for a very long time it was. But it wasn't, like, the first show that really, like, blew people away. I mean, Cats was immersive in its nature when it premiered <laughs> in the 80s. And it was a phenomenon yeah. when it happened. So... It just like you know the the perspective of how people view the show changes over time. But when it op- like when Cats opened in the eighties, it was like insane. It was yeah. like insanity of like what this weird show was. And in the same way, that's how Signor was. And um, and I, I I started to see its like actual cultural impact. Like I remember I came to LA uh, probably a year after, and I was down. I was down kind of like in the Fairfax Beverly area. Mm-hmm. And I was at like a thrift shop and there were a bunch of masks on the wall from the show. And I was like, oh wow, they they literally made uh, their trip all the way to the West Coast with these masks. And, you know, there was like the Gossip Girl and the SVU, was was it on SVU? I think they did like a spoof on SVU. It it might have been on SVU. Whatever's the rape one, that was... That's SVU. I never watched watched any of the Law and Orders, (laughs) you know. Even though like Law and Order 
it's a sign that that I definitely walked away from acting because like you know if, if you stay an actor then you, know, you have to do your time on at least one Law and Order yeah um, and then then somehow that means like watching the show so you know it so like I have I'm I'm sort of proud of that like I don't have to know anything about the Law and Order but yeah no SVU is the <laughs> SVU is the one where it, the worst stuff happens on I think it, is that the one with ice ice tea on it or is that another Ed Vincent D'Onofrio. I don't know. Like it's so weird. <laughs> the, number, the number of actors on that show is never ending. Um, so you 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 were on Sleep No More for a while, and then you, you moved over to CAA. Um, what's 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 kept you engaged in, on this weird part of the world? Because you're still, you're I'm still, still kind of like a little yeah. bit mixed in with it. Um, I've always been. I remember the first thing that got me interested in theater and really interested in theater when I was in high school was a theater company out of uh, D.C. called Cherry Red. Hmm. And they did just really off-the-wall shows. Um, One of their shows that they wrote was a collaboration with their company called um, Kenneth What is the Frequency? And it was like Hmm. a docu-play about when Dan Rather got beat up in the 80s about why he got beat up. And so mm. they created this entire show about why he got beat up. And it was like kind of dark comedy, kind of investigative. Um, the guy that was the artistic director, I remember he, I think he works at like MCC or one of the big New York theaters mm. now. Um, and I was on a phone call just randomly calling. And I ended up on the phone with him and I was like, you were like the reason that I got there. <laughs> um, and he like, and I told him it was through Cherry Red. And he was like, "What?" And you know, they had like a bunch of weird shows that you should absolutely look up. Like, uh, there was one called Angel Shit, which was about um, a town in I think Nebraska that the mayor taints the heroin supply with the flesh eating bacteria to kill off all the drug users. Um, it was like dark, dark, dark black comedy. Um, they have a show. Was, was that a real story or that's no? No, okay, it was like a, a show. They were, and they wrote. He wrote. His name's Ian Allen. Yeah. Um, there was another one that they did called Puna the Fuck Dog, another place for children, um, and it was like a children's theater play for adults. Um, but yeah, they that kind of got me interested in like people doing work that was off center, and I used to do some weird stuff and see weird stuff before Sleep No More and then it kind of just intensified after Um, and even I was like in my head thinking like what stuff did I see after Sleep No More that I was that was interesting to me Um, and at one point I went to London and I I saw Drowned Man in London Uh, I went to Secret Cinema and Mm -hmm. it was their first round of Dirty Dancing so I saw that they did it twice Oh, what was the dirty? Because I, I I've heard long tales of Back to the Future and uh, Aaron Mee once uh, on on a, on a long walk up Manhattan described to me the entirety of the this, the Empire Strikes Back Star Wars thing they did, which oh, yeah. was amazing sounding. Yeah. Um, what was the Dirty Dancing one? Because no one's ever so Dirty Dan. It was I guess it was like four years ago at this point. Um, so before Back to the Future. Even. Yeah, it was before Back okay, to the Future. So it was like post Greece. Ooh. And who framed Roger Rabbit? Um, I'm oh, wait, mildly, I'm mildly obsessed with them. So oh, wait, they did who framed um, Roger Rabbit? Yeah, and they did it like in a theater uh, with like cabaret tables and everything. Oh, so they like did, a big theater. Oh, so they did. Um, oh my God, what is the name of the? Th- um, I saw Roger Rabbit nine times. Hey, baby, they. Uh, G Baby and I Go to You, the song? No, 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 no. I'm trying to think like the name, the Ink and Paint Club. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Ink and Paint Club. Yeah, yeah. 
I saw Roger Rabbit nine times in the theater when I was a kid. So they. So I was obsessed with that movie. So they did Dirty Dancing. They took over this like this entire park in East London. Um, they turned into Kellerman's Resort, oh, and you know you dress up and you go. Uh, and they had little areas, so there was like an area that they had, like the clubhouse, and you could walk in. And there was like a cheesy jazz band playing, and uh, ballroom dancing, and they had like one corner had archery, and another corner had like um, all of the staff quarters, but they had just like gotten you know those like tool shed dens you get for your backyard. They just got like twenty of them and like lined them up, <laughs> and they had these little immersive experiences in each one. And like at one point, there was like part where like Johnny jumped out and started dancing with you, uh, and then they had a tent. Uh, that was like on the other side and that was like the staff like hangout area that you couldn't get into and that's where you know they carry the watermelon Um, and there was like a little hole like on the side that you would like crawl through to get in because you couldn't get in the front if you weren't a staff member Um, and you know and it had like music in there dirty dancing and they had like dancers that were like recreating scenes from the movie Um, and then the way that they got everyone to the show is they uh, they had a talent show, and so they had people from the experience, like audience members, yeah. doing random talents on stage, and then they would have hired talent do talent. And at the end, the whole staff came on stage and they grabbed hands and they did voices, hearts, and horses, and voices, hearts, and hands. The last beat of it, and no, mind you, there was like a thousand people right. in the audience. It was probably 990 women and 10 men because <laughs> um, it's already dancing. Yeah. Uh, and then the last note all the lights in the park shut off movie starts and like people lose their minds and the first scene is in a car and they're driving to the resort and there's this car driving through the audience and it like parks in front of the screen I mean it's like and so the funny thing so this was like you could tell like they were still finessing their producing efforts so like it wasn't totally polished like it was a freaking blast but it was still it was so like you could see like that they're you know putting on a show. Yeah, um, the strings were visible. That's like my I use that term all the time when I like see like a really solid theater effort that still is like growing and still doesn't have like a ton of money behind it. Yeah, like it's like yeah, it's almost there. Um, and then they recreated it last summer, or they redid it, and I saw the the video for it that they had where they had like a, a trailer online for it. And it looks spectacular. It yeah. looked like a million dollars. It looked like... I, I don't know. And I know they've done like a ton of like corporate activations. Like they've done stuff for Apple and yeah. Microsoft and everything. So. Well, well, and for a minute there, like the entire year of the Back to the Future 30th anniversary, they were... They seemed to be hell-bent on getting here to LA to do Back to the Future. And then it did not materialize. So it was like again and again. There's like secret cinemas coming, and like it, it, it hit like all the LA alternate, you know, the equivalent of the alternative weeklies because we don't really have those. All the blogs, LAs, and all that sort of stuff. And and I don't know if it was that Universal said like, no, you're not. Like we're doing yeah. something, or if they just wound up contributing to whatever Universal did because Universal did a bunch of stuff on the back lot. Mm. <laughs> and then there was like a. I think there was a, a the orchestra played along at the Hollywood Bowl, right? Yeah, I mean, like Cinesphere, they're so close to creating that experience, and they, they don't they don't go there. Like, they, and yeah. it makes me it almost makes me kind of mad because I'm like they have the audience 
to do it almost instantaneously. Like they don't have to build their audience anymore. They but that's just, also then that's also the reason why they don't need to do anything, right? Like there's no incentive. That's an eye roll. Yeah, <laughs> but that's no, and uh, but I I know exactly what you mean though. Like there's, there's no incentive for Cinespia to actually bust it out and and go the whole nine because yeah. they can they can pack the graveyard every weekend in the summer just by bringing out a DJ, bringing out a celebrity, putting up a photo booth. Yeah. Done. Right? Well, if you're listening to this, please call me because I would love to help. (laughs) I mean, if they knew that they could get away with charging like a hell of a lot more money. Yeah. But that would be the other thing is like it would would only be a once a season thing that they would be able to pull off. And I don't even know how much like the... I feel like they should spend their off season focused on it because they do these one-offs that are great. When they, they did Blade Runner at the um, at the nothing at the million dollar, that was that was fantastic because it's across the street from the Bradbury Building and there's a shot in Blade Runner of uh, the the movie theater. Yeah. So like, we all lost our minds <laughs> and no one had, a, a film had been screened in there. I think in like over a decade yeah. when we were, we were up in there, um, and they did a few things. They had some go-go dancers dressed up like press, and so like it had a little bit of the vibe. And all those, I lust after all the old theaters downtown because yeah. they're like fucking amazing particularly the, the lobby of the Los Angeles alone yeah. would be a fantastic playground for this kind of work well there's one more theater that I know of in downtown LA that hasn't been used mm. a singular theater um, I'm very curious of what it's going to be it's the old Trinity Auditorium mm. um, it's on Grand and 9th and it was where the L.A. Philharmonic premiered in 1917. Oh, wow. And it's sitting there. It's completely restored, um, but they've been sitting on it for... The owners have been sitting on it for a while. Um, Are they just renting it out for um, movie shoots? No. I mean, for movie shoots, yeah. I actually think Lala, some La La Land stuff got shot inside. That makes sense. But I saw it, and I didn't recognize anything, so I'm not sure if stuff got cut or what, but... okay. Um, but yes, I'm very, uh, very curious that this will get activated sooner rather than later. Because it's basically, I was just with work and everything, looking through all of the theaters in downtown, and they're all pretty much accounted for, for either they're, you know, they're returning to retail, or they've done movie screenings, or they have management, or whatever. Yeah. Something, you know, the Ace got turned into, or the United United Artists, um, but it's the only one. It's the only one that hasn't really been touched. That and like the Pacific and Hollywood. Um, and the Vogue is also empty as well. Hmm. And not entertaining anything right now. So so, so we, you touched on it for a second. And, I, and we're not going to dive too deep in here. Because um, we talked about it before. But like you said, you mentioned for work. So yeah. like who, who, who is it that you work for and what it, what is it they do? So I work with a company and helping run and open the LA office called Space in the Raw. Uh, and we take... Uh, disused or vacant or unoccupied commercial space, industrial space, special purpose space, and convert it into short-term use for a variety of events. So it could be large events, it could be trade shows, it could be film and photo shoots, it could be cultural activations, uh, it could be a slew of things. Um, And the fun part about being in a startup uh, is kind of learning how to change the established system, mm. you know, like 
finding finding the problem and trying to solve it. And we've you know there's a lot of problems that have been solved with large events and you know corporate activations are uh, the entry point. Yeah. But like I think like the Los Angeles theater, the first time I was in that one here in town just to see in the theater zone was for uh, an Ubisoft press conference uh, for E3. Yeah. And so, you know, and that's, that's an amazing payday for that space. And they cram a bunch of, you know, video game nerds in and then the yeah. press. And, like, they've got, like, a full lighting rig, you know, set up. The theater's totally modern and... But yeah. what's funny is like it barely shows off that theater. It's like it's like, oh, it's, here's a big space. And they're like, oh wow, this is really cool. This lobby is nifty, but like, oh, we're here to watch video games. And then then you're you're out again fifteen minutes later. You yeah. Know? And you know, LA is interesting because there are so many cool buildings that are just sitting empty. And I can speak from very deep deep knowledge of yeah. just the amount of vacancies is huge, especially in downtown. Downtown is like I would say like only forty percent occupied. Oh my <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, but I'm really uh, kind of offline with my with work and how uh, how I'm kind of trying to find some interesting things to do in LA is trying to solve that artist problem, and it's not entirely there um, and solved, but. You know, we're in a development renaissance in downtown LA. Oh, yeah, There's a ton of development happening, um, both in the downtown proper and the arts district. A lot of it, you know, is displacing artists, um, which it's hard for me at work to do some of the stuff I do because I see the areas that artists were in and they're getting displaced because of the development. And I'm working directly with the developers. Um, but eventually we get to a point where the developers want foot traffic again and it's hard to turn to a developer and say, well, you had the foot traffic when you had cultural attractions yeah. happening yeah. in this area yeah. and now it's just construction so everyone's gone elsewhere. You know, Everyone's gone to Boyle Heights or San Pedro or uh, the Valley. Um, and I've talked extensively with Ben Johnson at the Department of Cultural Affairs about this. Um, but there has to be... There has to be a solution and it isn't solved yet, you know, because yeah. like um, the financial equation is still tough. You know, landlords and developers don't care about short term use. Yeah. Generally, um, they care about long term tenants. Uh, but there's something there. There's something there and it's, our, it hasn't been solved from, yet. Because yeah, <laughs> from, from our point of view, from our point of view, it's like it's dead obvious, right? Is like. I go down to a neighborhood where nothing is happening, but there is a there's some weird art thing, and I go there, and then oh I'm drawn back there again because another weird art thing, and then all of a sudden oh there's that there's a little cafe across the way. I think I'll, I'll stop in there. Yeah. On my way to this weird art thing, and then next thing you know you're hanging out there, and then at a certain point you go like maybe I should just live down here because these things I'm doing. And from the developer point of view, it really seems to be like, well, we'll build a bunch of condos and people will live there. And that's like, and, and full stop, right? Like, like, there's no imagination past that point. And yet, and yet it's so obvious that you don't, you don't want to live in a place just because there's a fucking unit there that you can afford. You want to yeah. live in a place because there's other things going on that make your life, the quality of life, yeah. you know, make it worthwhile. 
And I think about things like Theater Delicatessen in London, where you know they'll they'll take over a, a building that's in transition, you know, for a month, and just long enough to activate the space, right? Just enough, long enough to like bring the foot traffic back down, yeah, and kind of start enchanting things. And I know, like, I've had conversations. I had conversations with one uh, twice. Was trying to talk to uh, uh, the people developing a rather large space uh, here in LA that's still still being developed. That's really far off transit. Um, it's at the edge of downtown, so it's not the easiest thing to get to. They've they started building kind of like a weekly uh, attraction into it, but the first couple times I went to that, like it was kind of anemic for what it could be. Um, You're talking about the row. I might be. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to name names here, John. Um, but like I was okay. So yeah, it was the row, and and you know, I was I was trying to pitch them on the on the idea. And what's interesting was like some of the people who were working with them, like they were incredibly responsive. Like yeah. I popped up and said like, oh, you know, it's immersive, and they're like, we love sleep no more. We love that. Okay, boom, boom, boom. Right, they yeah. got it. The pe- people who were working with them, then the other people who were working with them, like they're very much into like, oh, art meaning like a jewelry store. Yeah. Oh, uh, we're re- we're really interested in getting in a tenant, you know, like and look, they're bringing tartine manufacturing in, yeah, and I'm like, I mean, that, that's a huge. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> tartine tartine is one of my favorite things. Full stop. Yeah, I'm from the Bay Area. I had a birthday there once, right? <laughs> you know, like, and I don't mean tartine. Like, I don't mean bar tartine, the restaurant. I mean yeah, like the bakery. bakery. Yeah. Before there was a manufacturer. And then now you're telling me you're going to have like a massive version of the thing I love. Yeah. Like, you know, please don't throw me in the briar patch, right? But, uh, although don't because I lose some weight. But like, let's not worry about that. Um, and, and I've been inside the space and I'm like, oh, we could do something. Or, you know, Smorgasburg. Like, we could like drag a couple of vans in and like do some box truck stuff. And like, just give it a little twist. Yeah, and it's just not—it's not part of their imagination, you know. It's like it's, it's out of out of mind. I think it's in their imagination. I, I, and I know the row, and I've I've worked with their team there. Um, I think the complex is so massive yeah. that it's almost a little challenging to like look outside of what you have set. Yeah, and so like Smorgasburg is like such a contained well-oiled machine at this point like they've they're so nuanced from new york yeah that i think they saw that opportunity as like this is a really great opportunity that brings a ton of foot traffic you know i think it brings like ten thousand people down yeah and now i wasn't sure what it was at the beginning yeah i haven't, but it's, I haven't been back since like the first couple of months so. it's it's conti- like they know what they're doing yeah so it's not something that they have to worry too much about um and again, this, the property, I mean, the footprint for the property is massive. It's like 1.2 million square feet. Yeah, no, it's huge. <laughs> it's like the largest parking garage in California yeah. next to Disney. Yeah, they, they were telling they were telling me that it, it's the size of the meatpacking district yeah. in New York. And easily, easily can believe it. You know, but I also know... But they're also one of 20 developments yeah. that are going into the arts district. Yeah. And like, they all kind of have the same thing. Like, they're... The, their format and the vendors that they're going after and the restaurants that they want and you know the condo style like it's all kind of the same yeah so there's going to be a point and I'm not sure if it's two years from now or five years from now or ten years from now where unless the foot traffic really moves down there and like downtown becomes truly the center of LA 
that they're going to have a surplus. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to know what to do with this vacant retail. They're not going to know what to do. And that is the opportunity for the artist right there. When they're struggling to fill, that's when artists should be acting and saying... Well, I even think we've got like a... There's... there's I think it's measure... Maybe it's measure S. Maybe it's something else. So the billboard for S. Because there's these... There are these um, measures coming up here in, in for vote in the city about... Whether or not to put a moratorium on development for I think two years while they figure out the general plan, and I look at that and I say like, well, this is when the artists need to start thinking about their piece of the pie, yeah, you know, and the pressures to put in at the city level to say, look, LA has an identity, yeah, and not an identity problem; it has an identity, and that identity is entertainment capital of the world, and we have this vibrant art scene that takes place underneath the surface. Uh, and I know Ben Johnson is like on a, on a similar wavelength here in terms of like wanting to bring festivals to yeah. LA, right? He's and like on like a war path right now. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and thank God for that because like we're going we're gonna to be on that war path with him. And, and you know, and I want to get like an immersive festival here in Los Angeles. And, you know, there's the prospect that we will get the Olympics, right? So like yeah. there's all these things that are in the, the two, four, five year range and, and it's hard, I think, for individual artists and for, for companies who, who legitimately, because their work is their second job, it yeah. is their passion project, to start trying to think in terms of, well, what's going to be the development situation in the city two years from now in order to secure ourselves spaces, right? Yeah. Like, they're, they're not able to play that game. So, yeah. like, more and more, I find myself lured into those conversations and into talking to Ben and wanting to talk to you and, and talking to developers and trying to trying to see around that corner and say like, well, how many of us need to get out ahead and sort of, you know, preset the stage so that the companies who are busy trying to work up to get, not even to like build their first sleep no more, but build their first, you know, Mask of the Red Death, right? Yeah. You know, build their first Then She Fell, uh, like something that's going to, stay and be around for a while like have a have a three-month run as opposed to having a a four-week war yeah right so let the companies worry about that but what can we do to to set the conditions in the city what can we do to like convince the the city qua city that this kind of work draws foot traffic to bars and cafes and to retail draws tourists in from out of town there's there's a huge level where um you know the the all the halloween stuff that happens the fact that that's not i don't well, okay i don't know what the the, the tourism bureau packet for la they probably don't like. work and they probably don't work directly with yeah. the tourism board no. and the tourism board is accessible like yeah they want to have things that they can yeah tout yeah you know and I think what you're bringing up is a, actually a really great conversation and something that I was thinking about before. And I've talked to, you know, I've talked to artists, I've talked to like the Fort Lark uh, team and I've talked to Annie Saunders from Wilderness and a bunch of other people. And I, the, the beauty of LA's art scene from what I've been able to survey is that there's a middle class. Yeah. New York is at a point now where it's you're either poverty stricken artist truly poverty-stricken artist or 
you were a poverty stricken artist that somehow has gotten your vision out there and you're getting picked up by corporate groups and you're able to produce on a corporate level. Mm. You know, like when Sleep No More opened, it had money behind it. Yeah. Yes. But it was just a theater show. Now it's an, ex- it's an experience from the restaurant to the bar to music to parties to everything. And it's now making a significant amount of money. So it's that's over in the yeah, and the know, kitchen that's is over in the the upper class yeah, and their support. But LA has this great middle class where you can go out and see such quality work that might not have a ton of money behind it, but people are producing on a higher level um, with the money they have and putting great work out there. And that's where it starts is yeah. being able because like. It's very, and if you look at like just the economic systems, it's very hard when you're poor oh, to get ahead. But when you start oh, in the middle, I know, I know. <laughs> when you start in the when you're Believe in the middle, you know. it's a, it's a little bit easier. It's still hard, and they still create systems in which to suppress you and keep you there. Yeah, but it's a little bit easier. And so I see a lot of the work that, and I've gone out and seen a lot of work. It's there. It has you know the potential, and I think where the artists need to start turning is they need to start and I know this is hard <laughs> they need to treat themselves like a business yeah you know and that's the hardest thing and it's something I had to learn like through experience and just through day to day and project to project but you have to treat yourself like a business you you know you you have to have a solid website like I will judge and this is going to sound so horrible but mm-hmm. I will judge a show prior to seeing it based on the marketing materials that they have for a show. Oh, yeah. And not its content, but it's producing. And yeah. I think, you know, I think a lot of people think about, like, to put on a show is to create content within the show and a vision and present it. It, it can't just be that. Yeah. Like... Oh, I sometimes I feel like the worst thing that ever happened... The two worst things that ever happened... And this is hyperbole. <laughs> For the next five minutes, this is true. The two worst things that ever happened were a brown paper tickets and gold star. Because brown paper tickets is, is just a shittily designed site that doesn't allow you to have good sized images. Yeah. Every time a show has nothing but a brown paper tickets um, shingle and nothing else, yeah. trying to extract usable visual material for the newsletter is impossible. Uh, and then the other problem is Gold Star because everyone just waits for tickets to go into Gold Star at like a fraction of what they're worth. Yeah. So the perceived value of uh, of a piece of material is way lower yeah. than what the actual cost of the material is. Yeah, um, and what the artist has to, and the company has to set out to recoup their investment that yeah. they set from the beginning. Yeah, you know, and particularly in an era when 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 it's it's very much being debated about as to you know how much you know how to get artists a living wage for the performing arts and to to what degree that should be expected and to what degree you know equity is or isn't going to support you know the entire theater scene in LA yeah you know because of those exact issues right? yeah i mean that happened with hamilton with with the actors that helped put you know cultivate and put the show together with Lin-Manuel was they weren't getting equity and recruitment money and they fought for it and they got it. Um, And I'm glad they did because they set a precedent for performers getting money when they helped develop a show. Yeah. Um, 
Now you know there also is the level of like going in and you're signing a contract yeah. to look at the contract and negotiate. And I feel, again, like a lot of artists don't um, don't have uh, the confidence to go in and walk into a negotiation and really say like, no, this is my worth. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with like you're egotistical or you know like you're overinflating yourself. It's like no, you deserve a, a decent wage and you deserve this and don't back down because of this or because you know of a producer is pressuring you whatever yeah. like your vision is your vision is your vision and you have to set a, a, a price tag for that and that you know and that will always be my struggle personally is like yeah. I love theater because I love it down in my core and my heart and everything but I also love the business of theater and I love like the developing art on a large scale level I mean like Sleep No More is like a huge part of my existence because I saw some weird crazy show I mean like the show truly is crazy <laughs> if you break it down like let's just put a bunch of masculine people yeah in a hundred thousand square foot warehouse and have them wander around and follow some fantastic modern dancers telling a story yeah that is a sh- about a movie they've never seen yeah and in a play and, they read once in high school yeah yeah and somehow it's accessible and somehow it's like the only off-Broadway show in years to keep run- that has like a long-term life. I mean, basically yeah. off-Broadway is dead otherwise. True. And you, it's like you can create large-scale visions and still maintain them. Now, I'm sure other people will debate that of how maintained Sleep No More is at this point from, yeah. as an artistic vision. Um but it's it's possible, and I love to see. I love shows that start small and grow to become large, and have to navigate th- those conversations. A great example is Natasha and Pierre mm. and the Great Comet. Like it was, I saw it at Ars Nova. I saw it when it moved to the Meatpacking District. I saw it when it was in another tent in Hell's Kitchen. I haven't seen the Broadway production, but here it's absolutely stupendous. But it's somehow navigating all of these different routes and, you know, the producers are trying to discredit or not give credit to Ars Nova for their contributions, Mm -hmm. um, which was a big hoopla for a moment. But the show is still this weird, great musical. Um, And so I think, I think it's kind of circle back with what all this is relating to. I think artists need to um, never try to be small in anything in the business of what they do and the art of what they do and try to like make your goal to be that big you might not get there at first but I'm, I'm certain that Punch Drunk when they set out didn't set out to create tiny little shows oh yeah no like I think no. they always knew that they wanted to create shows on 200,000 square foot it was a matter of how are we going to get there yeah you know so yeah, the amb- the ambition, the ambition is clear. I mean, there's there's another there's another layer to which, and a lot of people here in town, you know, some partly out of pragmatism, um, but they are interested in like going deep, right? And they're interested in the the quality of the one on one interaction, and they're interested in creating that kind of kind of experience. And I think that's been fun for the past couple of years is to watch a lot of different people approach how to create those kinds of moments. And 
when I think about when I think about New York and I think about Sleep No More and Then She Fell being sort of like the two pillars, you know, and, and very different sized, but but the 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 way in which you know the the one on one is a is a prize to be gotten in Sleep No More mm-hmm. and people compete for it and you can go online and read blogs and it's like you no know, stand here and do this and wink three times and turn the winner shins <laughs> you know and like you know it feels like that it feels like unlocking a magic spell um, or playing a video game same difference um, or flirt with the actor or whatever exactly <laughs> step one how to be successful on YouTube step one win the genetic lottery step two there is no step two um, <laughs> let's be honest here um, uh, and over at Then She Fell where it's it's a series of intimate encounters that are woven through larger encounters mm-hmm. and between those twin poles it feels like there's an entire universe waiting to erupt in terms of where everyone's working and right yeah. now it feels like in LA a lot of people Probably because of a bit because of the middle class thing, and a bit because of like the the, 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 the strange difficulty of acquiring the the real estate. Because I remember in my first year here, and I was talking with Jamie Peterson, who hasn't made a show since that first year, because uh, he's you know had a kid and like he was working for Alton Brown and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but he's a fantastic madman, and he had taken over. He had taken over a. Um, Fire arts dance studio mm-hmm. uh, over off Melrose, and had built uh, a paper labyrinth, and so and and did a version of the Theseus story. Oh, right? fun! Uh, and he did a version of the Theseus story where he had constructed um, a magic lantern, and so Remy the magic lantern, and uh, the and then the front of it. So like you walk in and they'd set up a little pop up bar. Totally like off grid, right? Set <laughs> so up a pop up bar. They had a Pac Man machine though, so it was awesome. So it was like a cute little pop up bar, you know, with like well drinks and you know like a bunch of pre mixed stuff. Um, and you waited your turn to go in, and then there was like there was like the coat rack, and you go into the coat rack, and then you find the magic lantern, and the magic lantern talks to you and guides you through. And what it was was like Jamie was up on the second floor on the loft, and he had an overview of the entire. Labyrinth, and then as you walk through the paper labyrinth, and and we're winding your way through, being guided through, the actors were shifting the paper around, so the labyrinth was reforming behind you. Oh and you heard, you heard shack, 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 and you're like, whoa, what's going on? And so it had this like, there's this ominous to it, ominousness to it, and then there were a couple of little like interactive. Now you'd almost say like the escape room light type things, but this is before escape rooms were even. Like they were a thing in Budapest at this point, but not, not here in LA. And so like we had to like find stuff in a room and like we activated uh, a, a video wall which turned like an actor rolled out and like gave a monologue. And then we were, and then we got up onto the other side into the other lofted area and were able to the end of the piece was just watching watching the actors uh, kind of wander around the labyrinth on their own. And it was it was gorgeous and, and fantastic. And we had this conversation afterwards in the booth about how exciting all this kind of work was in LA because of because of exactly what you're saying, like how much space is unoccupied. Yeah. 
And then the, the reality for the past couple of years since is realizing how many of those landlords are sitting there going like, I'm just waiting for NCIS to come by and like, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to do any work. I yeah. just want five days. And, you know, we, we talked with like Darren Bowsman of, of Tension and they had a place all lined up uh, like a year ago. Yeah. And they lost it because uh, because of something like that. It was like, oh, we got a shoot coming in here for five days in December, so we'll need you guys out yeah. for those five days. And it's like we're setting up we're setting up a massive thing. We can't be out for five days. Yeah, and also like it, it doesn't happen every day. Like <laughs> it has right. nothing to do actually at all with your building. Like it it might just be that that one particular space kind of fits with the vision that they're looking for and they're going to come shoot there. And maybe yeah. once every 10 years, it's a huge blockbuster. Like, I'm pretty sure that they shot, um, they took over some warehouses downtown and did the Jungle Book. And they used, like, all, they oh, set yeah. up all the green screens, but it was all done downtown. Yeah, but it's, like a, it's a city of green screens. You know? Yeah. It's like, they just need, where, literally, just warehouse space. But, like, not every time it's going to, it's not going to be Disney coming in and, like, throwing millions and millions of dollars at a space. Yeah. It's not gonna. That's not gonna happen all the time. And yeah. you know that conversation is frustrating because the you'll, the response you'll always get is, "Well, it could." Yeah. You know, and a lot of these landlords are very rich. Yeah. <laughs> and so money, at the end of the day, isn't a problem. Like it's not an issue for them. Yeah. So, on one level, they want all the money, but on another level, they don't need it if it doesn't come in. Yeah, and if it's hard, <laughs> if, and if it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. Right. It's like. It's like, oh, I could just win the lottery tomorrow, you know? Like, yeah. that's, that's what that argument sort of feels to me like. It's like, oh, yeah, the lottery might come in and, and, and give me give me $100,000 for this week. And what are you going to give me? You're going to give me, what, $15,000 for, like, a month? Psh, no. You know, I'll wait. I'll, I'll, I'll bet against I'll, – I'll bet on someone needing this space. And if they don't, whatever. Well, what artists could do that's proactive is, you know, a lot of these uh, spaces – have real estate marketing data on them. Mm. It's very easy to find this data. <coughs> Excuse me for a space, and it says like the demographics. Like this area um, is popular for twenty-one to twenty-eight-year-old women uh, with this income level, and blah 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 blah. And that's how a lot of those burgers and landlords and property managers talk. Mm. So it's not necessarily about the money, but if you can go in and speak their language and say, hey, I'm aware that this area, it's really popular for 21 to 28-year-old white women that make $55,000 a year, and I just happen to have this show that is screaming for that demographic, and they'd be coming into your building and associating a really cool experience with your property. That's a different conversation than going in. I created this show and I want to use your space and I'm not sure how much money I have, but yeah. you know, like it's going to be cool. I promise. Yeah, it's it's thinking about. It's a weird thing, but it's but thinking about the needs of of the venue, right? Yeah. And I was having a conversation with someone the other day. I'll, I'll probably talk more about it offline, as as we're trying to figure out how to sort of bootstrap up. Uh, an immersive festival and, and a couple of ideas have come up, you know, to sort of be precursors of that. And we, we had a beta run with night games at Indiecade and, mm-hmm. you know, and really <coughs> I think there we showed that like, oh yeah, we can take like, we can get like 500 people who aren't necessarily into this stuff, like really excited about these things. Yeah. 
Um, that, that was easy. Uh, it's the capacity that's hard. It's like we couldn't get the 500 people through everything that we wanted them to. But looking at some other possible venue ideas and, you know, you start on the art end and you go like, oh, yeah, it could be like this and the other thing. And then instantly it's like, yeah, but what does that do? For, what good is that for the venue? Yeah. And then you reverse engineer, like, well, this venue tends to do this stuff. It's like, well, then you start you start modifying your idea. It's it's kind of a lesson from the nonprofit world and the and grant chasing. Yeah. As someone who works in the nonprofit world, I gotta say, I think everyone everyone hates grant chasing. Because grant chasing is on an ontological level, it's just kind of gross. Because yeah. it's like, oh, I got this thing that I'm good at, I got this thing I wanna do. You want to fund this, this, that, that. Well, I guess I can make the thing I do this, this, that, that. And and that's just on the media world. Like the arts world is even more specific. It's yeah. like they really want, no, we want a thing that's blankety blank, 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 blank. It's yeah. like, I'll make you a blankety blank, 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 blank. <laughs> not everything's going to be, not everything's a MacArthur Genius Grant. Yeah. I wish it was. Um, some days I think about, Doing like a, a um, some kind of crowdfunded version of a MacArthur Genius Grant and saying like, oh, we're going to build a pool of money and then we're going to dole it out and it's going to be earmark free. Yeah. And like, and that's going to be the reason to to do that. I'm not sure if this year is the right year to launch such a thing because I think we're we're all kind of having various levels of anxiety, but. <laughs> But we're, you know, but we, we always are. as much as as much as you may have anxiety about what's about to move forward yeah. from an institutional level, yes, be scared because arts funding and everything might go wackadoo. But the best part about any kind of level of suppression, any kind of uh, culture of fear, is like fucking great art comes out of it. Yeah. So it's even the, it's if the only it's the only silver lining in dark clouds. Yeah. Even if LA gets a little bit of. Uh, you know, a lower class, a poorer class for their art does not mean that it's going to be any less spectacular. I think yeah. it's going to be even more spectacular what's what's to come. And um, I used to help manage a, a queer venue um, in Oregon. And I remember the owner called me once everything happened and was really scared mm. about what was going to happen to the space. I was like, you're going to flourish. Yeah. And he was like, I don't understand what you mean. I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is the, this is the moment where people come together. This is the moment where yeah. people start to look for not safe spaces, um, but look for spaces where they can. They look for hearth, yeah. hearth and home, and and for artists, hearth and home are performance spaces and DIY spaces. And I mean, there was a moment um, post uh, the ghost ship fire where um, you know some of the people out on 4chan. Uh, and the Reddit boards were targeting DIY yeah. spaces because they're like, these are breeding grounds for the left and for, for progressives. So let's take this opportunity to shut them down. And on a, a strategic level, like that was in many ways genius, right? Like, because the, they're right. They are yeah. places where those ideas flourish. But you, the more you force it, it's it's the Carrie Fisher. It's a land thing. Like the the tighter you grip, the more systems will slip through your fingers. You yeah. know, like um, it's 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 not like sometimes I think, and I'll see this people reacting online to to when folks make the point of like the well, art's going to get really good, and everyone thinks like, oh, you're 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 cheering, you're so excited for the art. It's like no 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 no, no. that's cold solace. Yeah. It's like <laughs> I think I think all of us would much rather be like watching bad movies with like healthcare than like. 
seeing the most incredible thing ever and then being like, well, I can't get my cancer meds. You know, like we're, yeah. we're, it, it's, it, it's not like good art can't take place in flush times too or in times when people have great freedom. It's just that it becomes necessary. Yeah. It becomes a more needful thing. And because art is a form of magic, magic responds to need. Yeah. Art responds to need. The need is there. It will come. Yeah. You know, there's no stopping it is what it is. Um, I don't know. One thing I can say that I <laughs> would love to see, um, and I'm not sure how up to speed you are with... Uh, so Secret Cinema has like a new division and they're doing secret music. I'm not sure if you've heard about this. <laughs> so I think they, I may have seen a little inkling. So they did like a, a, a one-off um, with a British artist named Laura Marling um, who's has a decent following in America but I guess she's huge in London. And this like just really blew my mind thinking about the, the structure of it. But essentially you... In their secret cinema formula, you buy a ticket, you don't know what the show is going to be. Like, their bigger shows, like when they do Dirty Dancing and stuff, they announce what the yeah. show is. Like, but, Moulin Rouge is coming in on Valentine's Day. Yeah, be and that's, the, that's stuff they announce. But they do other stuff where it's truly a secret. You have no idea what's happening yeah. walking into it. So you buy a ticket, you don't know what's happening. You show up, you check your cell phone, you go through security so you can't have anything to know. <laughs> yeah. um, and you go into an environment that has been created what it's about you don't really know until you get into it but in this particular case they showed up at this beautiful english mansion in the countryside and had a staff and it felt very like down nabby and there were all these little experiences everywhere like it had like a, a theatrical plot line and the audience would wander into a room and let's say you just wandered into like a side chamber yeah and the artist shows up with her guitar and just starts doing a number oh wow and so you have this intimate moment with this really big artist, and then she kind of like just disappears off and continues going. And so it's the formula that they have where they, you know, you're going through this experience for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah. And then everyone's filtered down to this ballroom, and she does a full concert. Now this building was... And this experience was made around the album, so everything was referenced and inspired by and created around the album she created. So it did two things. Like you created this unique physicalized version of music. Yeah. Which is already so interesting to me. And then you created this experience where you could see an artist that you love completely out of context to the concert going experience. Yeah. And I really think that this is going to see, this is going to start happening more often. Like I would have, Loved when Frank Ocean's album came out this year. It was like, I wouldn't say inaccessible, but it's like, it definitely takes a couple of listens to. Yeah. I mean, I loved it from the beginning because I'm obsessed with him, but it takes a couple of listens for, I would say, the average Joe to like yeah. understand why it's so great. But how interesting would it have been if they created like a physicalized experience of what this album was? That that reminds me of, of two things, and then it also reminds me of, of a current movement in, in uh, the music video world. So, one, it reminds me of um, when Nine Inch Nails did the ARG for Year Zero, mm -hmm. and this is this is during the ARG craze, and 
you know, they did a very elaborate storyline and like they, they were leaking elements of the album and there was all these crazy puzzles that people had to solve and it all culminated in a secret concert in a warehouse that they then like chased everybody out with like fake SWAT. Yeah. Right? You know, and they're 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 kind of comedy stories about people like not really getting it like as part of that and like you know, just getting beaten up by the fake swatter. Like weird stuff I've heard. The other thing it reminds me of <coughs> is the time like a college radio station like did like uh, a small studio set with metric and it was just like the gal and the guy, the two leads, uh, doing an acoustic set at the Expression Digital College in the East Bay. And it, it was one of the, I was already living down here, but I just happened to be like up there at the right time. And yeah. like someone told me about it. So like I don't even know I don't remember how I got to see that show, but I got to see one of my favorite bands do an acoustic set five feet away from me. Yeah. And and as someone who's been spoiled at big concerts getting to be like down front in like arena shows, um like, I, I kind of don't understand how people can stand to see music in anything but a kind of intimate venue. And this idea of, like, being able to do it up, up close. And, and then that idea of there being a big story, I think of, like, what Florence and the Machine did um, with, I think they I think they called it uh, The Odyssey. There's this, like, long video series that they did last year. And then uh, Tuvilu just did, uh, or Tovlo, if you just want to do the, the don't want to use, <laughs> don't do the real pronunciation. Um, she did this... Um, <clears throat> five or six video cycle off the current fairy dust off the current album yeah uh, which is also like amazing um, and so I think I think uh, the Florence the Machine was think Vincent Haylock was the the filmmaker there okay and and it's and that one's amazing and then and the two one is amazing and a few of the videos stand out on their own as individual videos but then like you put it all together it's like it's a 20 minute it's a 30 minute Movie, yeah, essentially, which is like what you know. Hi, it's what it's what Bay did with you know Lemonade or with uh, the album before that, yeah, right. Where it's like here's, and Lemonade was a much tighter version of of what she did before. And I've been to like watching parties at, at you know secretly at movie theaters where it's like we're gonna turn this on, don't tell anybody, you know, like you're watching <laughs> the big screen and it fucking works on a big screen, yeah. And so there's this desire in the music world to narrativize and do long form and to connect. In, in this storytelling way. Yeah. Particularly because, because so much of music is back to being atomized and singles and all that all that other stuff. There's, there's this urge to communicate. All of this is just an urge to communicate on multiple frequencies. But then there's like a digital level to it, at least in the PR of it, of let's create this really amazing experience that people will lose their mind over yeah. and talk about. Uh-huh. And people will talk about it that didn't even go. And, yep. and like that's that's a huge thing, at least with entertainment. And I've seen like on the like uh, experiential marketing level of like brands getting scared about doing experiential marketing efforts yeah. because it's like well, we might as well just do a digital campaign oh, because God. that's going to get more attention. I've so heard like to yeah. to merge that and know you're like can you imagine if Beyonce did a physicalized version of Lemonade. As part of the launch, and like Rihanna did one, and Rihanna works, I believe Punchek was involved, and there's another creative director named uh, Willow Perrin um, and Associates, and they do, a t- I mean you can look them up, they do so much stuff. They did the XX show at the Armory, um, where there was like 30 audience members watching XX in a box, and at oh, the end of the show, 
the whole box lifts up and you're in this gigantic armory with the band playing and it's only like 30 of you. Wow. I'm, that's actually one of my biggest regrets is not <laughs> t- t- shelling out $2,000 to go however much it was to go see it. Um, but, you know, they do like a lot of like creative imagery for like Kanye and Drake and like, yeah. you know, a lot of their stuff like... You know, personalities aside, a lot of the creative stuff that happens with them is really, really interesting yeah. and really, really great. Well, back to that idea of like, you know, the, the the marketing companies. Like, I've talked to I've talked to like gallery folks and venue folks who like, you know, they they were trying to bring a sponsor in on something, and the literally the marketing people were like, "Well, I can spend the same amount of money and just buy Facebook ads," and it makes me want to like strangle those people because one, I'm like, don't you know the one. Oh my God! You're giving money to Facebook. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Two, don't you know their metrics are all lies? Three, don't you realize that this is free fucking Instagram advertising and it's native? It's like you do one of these. You do something experiential. And granted, what's being talked about with the secret symbol when you like you take away the cell phones and whatnot, it's only pure word of mouth. Like. You but, know, that, that, but that breeds but, culture even yeah, more because yeah. people want to, you know, then they let photo. someone sneak in their phone and, you know. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. Or like you get, like, or there's a photo with you, the one thing, like, yeah. you know, you, you, you control the message. You know, you create, you create that, you know, the, the FOMO thing is something that, that happens only when there is an actual event. Yeah. And, and then people want a piece of it. And this, this balance of, something real, something tangible, a place I can go, an experience I can have, then you buy the souvenir, right? Like even something like, you know, Tension has a souvenir book, right? That was one of the bigger shows here in town. Yeah, that was the one that was in Boyle Heights, right? Yeah, yeah, and and, it's like a $60 souvenir book. And other shows are like, you know, they're they're selling t-shirts like right off the bat. And part of it's like the learning lessons from tension, and part of it's like you know, like well, it's easy you can make a T-shirt these days. You yeah, just you can make, make a lot of money from it. Yeah, <laughs> no, you can, you know, and 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 it, it 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 helps pay the bills. It helps it helps build the marketing, and if if the and you know, and then you scale it up to the full scale, it's like hi Disney. Yeah. Right. You know, like at the end of the day, like you know. We're all just in the shadow of the mouse, you know, like like taking little pieces of... I was just there the other day with um, Juliet Bennett-Ryla, who's one of the writers in town. Uh, she had never been, and so I, I was her Sherpa. Um, also, it was a free ticket to go. And although uh, it was the first day of me getting sick, and so it was like, it was kind of like a nightmare <laughs> to be at Disney for 12 hours with my powers slowly draining. But I remember walking... I, we walked into Star Traders... Which is the the gift shop off of Star Tours? Yeah, that thing's been there since like 1986. I know because I've been going to it since 1986. <laughs> and um, and and what's funny about that one is like it when it first opened, that that whole spot was nothing but Star Wars. And then yeah. as the years went on, it shrunk down to there was a little tiny corner right at the actual exit where they had Star Wars stuff because like they kind of had to sell Star Wars stuff yeah. and now that the it's movies like, are the whole thing's back it's all Star Wars again and even in the past year it's like and I've been like oh like since the 12 months since I've been here it's it's grown but you walk in there and like they've like you can find like the equivalent of like 1950s poodle skirt dresses that are Star Wars themed there's there's a whole section where they've like Taken the old ra 
side art for like the haunted mansion or for like the storybook uh, cast the storybook boat in in Fantasyland, and they've rethemed it as Star Wars. So like the haunted mansion thing where there's the three ghosts hitch- hitchhiking, yeah. and the haunted mansion in the back. Now it's the Ewok Village in the back, and it's Ben, Anakin, and, and Yoda oh, hitchhiking yeah. ghosts, <laughs> and it's on a T-shirt, and it's on a. A, a, a tumbler oh glass and it's on a and it's on a coffee mug and if you're going to Disneyland you can pick them up for- no <laughs> <laughs> and like and it creates it manufactures desire right like I, wa- I was like oh I didn't know I wanted this crap but I want it all but I want it all right and and whatever thing is oh are you into tiki shirts here's the Star Wars tiki shirt oh do you want this oh do you want that mm. and it's it's all there there's one thing I saw like they'll do They'll do a, a nameplate for you, and they'll spell it out in the Star Wars lettering. But you have to be an annual pass holder. I got angry because I'm not an annual <laughs> pass holder anymore. It was a twelve dollar nameplate, and I was like, "Oh, this is wait, what? That's, no!" Right? Oh, that's their tricks. Yeah. I uh, can we like deeply talk about Disney for a second? Let's so do it. I have like the biggest love hate relationship with Disney. I, so oh, yeah. I worked at Disney World. When I was in school, oh god! I briefly did the Hoop to Do review, which is the longest running show in America. I am <laughs> both horrified slash jealous slash horrified slash curious because I only went to Disney World once when I was a kid in junior high, and I could not convince the family to go to the Hoop to Do musical review. Okay, well, first off, it's a great show. <sighs> There's a reason it's been running for that. Like, I think it's like. Honestly, I think it's like 52 years at this Doesn't point. Doesn't it still have the Country Bears as part of it? Are they? No. There's no animatronic bears. No, there's no animatronic, but it's all you can eat, like fried chicken. All you can drink, like all you can drink, beer, sangria, wine. God damn it. It's, and I still, I still have friends that perform in it. Um, <laughs> and then I also worked uh, on the cruise lines. And I did, Whoa. I did two contracts on the cruise lines. Um, this is why you were done with performing when you were done with It was performing. actually after, it was after <laughs> my <laughs> second contract. I was like, all right, I think I'm good. So that's like, that's kind of where like I diverged, like went on my anti-Disney tirade yeah. for so long. Um, but everyone should like look up to them. It's, they're truly, the, it's truly the oh. most brilliant company that was ever created. Oh yeah. They have the craziest thing. One of my favorite things about Disney, with at least all of their theatrical, and I don't know how like how well this is no, well known. It is like it's well known with like Julie Tamar with Lion King. Yeah, but everything they do, like every show they do, they hire the weirdest, most like off center, like Swedish black box has only done like the most esoteric contemporary theater. Yeah. To direct it. Yeah. So it will be like oh, who did they get? So they did Frozen at the parks. Okay. And the person that directed Frozen did um, the show that was off Broadway and moved to Broadway with Lupita Nyong'o about like African sex slavery or uh, like it was it's truly like this this woman like only does like really intense dramatic theater and then they hired her to do Frozen. Frozen. And it's it's so interesting to me, and I also hope there are other people that are working for Disney that I know that are listening to this, um, that they hire these people because like it always goes back to the formula. Like Julie yeah. Tamer was really the only person that's ever taken one of their products and turned it inside out yeah. and made it successful. Yeah, they've done it. So, I mean, so I did 
my second contract on the cruise line, they uh, did like this villain show and it was all about the Disney villains. And there was a whole point in which they were going to create like a whole park that was Disney villains. Oh, wow. And it was all going to be like this whole push to like reinvent all the Disney villain characters. Yeah. Um, so they created this show. It was called Villains Tonight and Hunter uh, Bowen and, or Hunter, Jeff Bowen and Hunter, um, I'm going to just went blank with his last name. Um, the guys that were title show, which was like this really, really great off-Broadway show a long time ago. Not a long time ago, about like 10 years ago. And they brought them in and they hired this woman, Allison Narver, who and I just remember working with her because she's just like only does Shakespeare and only does this, you know? And like she's had, we're having to like stage this scene that's like Captain Hook, like bonking Smee on the head and then like a bunch of goofy pirates. And I can just see this woman who's like, you know, like probably directed like Meryl Streep in yeah. Troilus and Cressida just yeah. being like what am I doing like yeah. this paycheck is so good <laughs> <laughs> what she's doing is she's paying for healthcare for her family yes. for the next six years <laughs> yeah well and and and, and yeah it's, it's, it is funny because like at the end of the day it comes back to like they're gonna they're gonna stamp out what works and I think that that's kind of true that that's definitely true kind of across the board and then every once in a while, they like, every once in a while, like Julie Tamer or, you know, sort of the way like J.J., you know, even though as, as much as, as Star Wars was very much a retread uh, of a lot of previous things, like it was also very much like that was J.J.'s ship for, for a lot of it. But this idea of, you know, we're going to take the most talented people we can and throw money at them, and then if it comes out garbled well, at least we know what to do, right? Yeah. Like as a machine. And I, I gotta, the optimist part of me has to say, you know, if nothing else, like good work is going in, you yeah. know? And even if they wind up at the end, like, like, uh-huh, the, the cookie cutter's coming down. <laughs> I've got a shape for you I want you to be in. Uh, even if that's happening, you know, the, the ingredients are still hopefully quality ingredients. And they, but they also still like they still work. I like to think like locally. Like so, yeah. I, I have my friend Josh, who's a playwright, um, and uh, he does some TV writing. But you know, he's um, still finding his footing in LA and everything. <coughs> he got hired to like write this like weird Andrew Sisters style show. Oh, for California Adventure. Yeah, yeah. For um, the Tower of Terror before it closed. Yeah, and. But it was like him and then my other friend Julia who has like a um, Andrew Sisters company and she like trains girls to learn tight harmony and she sends them out for like corporate gigs and you know Christmas yeah. performances and that kind of stuff. Um, but they like collaborated and they created this really fun little experience that was like part of the lobby during yeah. the closing. And that, that's, if, I can't remember the name of the characters but like those characters exist already in the park, like over in the like the downtown kind of. Yeah. There's, there's a section of it that's like Car- the Carthay Circle section, which is mm-hmm. also partially uh, Los Feliz, um, Los Feliz, <laughs> whatever. I say I so p- people yell at me because like because some people say Los Feliz and some people say Los Los Feliz. And so I, I went, Los Fleece. Yeah, and so I went up like <laughs> smashing it together because like everyone's always and I, and I live there and so I kind of like be like oh, y'all and I've lived there multiple times just like <laughs> just everyone fuck off. It's the I just call it the feels. Um, so <laughs> just I call like, it just a little cute little neighborhood. Yeah, that cute little neighborhood by Silver Lake. All the 
the easiest part is at Silver Lake or Tie Town, you know, like, <laughs> avoid the other. Uh, the Shadow of Griffith Park. Um, it's my favorite. I, 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 I'm on record as being that I want to die there. Since I live there, it's easy. I can die any time now. Um, but no, those, those characters, I can't remember what the frick they're called, but like they're, they're plastered all over the Starbucks in, in the, the kind of Main Street section mm. of California Adventure. So I heard about that show going in at the, yeah. at, at the, the tower. Yeah, it went, it went really well, and my, my friend was really excited to put it together. And, um, because he's also the biggest Disney nerd in the entire world. And so it was his first time they actually got to write a show oh, wow. for Disney. And just like, I've never seen a human being more happy. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like the happiest person in the world that he got, he got to write something for Disney. So they, but they, they do it all the time. They, they have like, you know, it's hard to see the small stuff because it's so massive. Yeah. Um, but it's also truly the biggest immersive thing ever oh, ever yeah. in the history of time like screw yeah. punch drunk i love them all dearly yeah but they they're it's the most perfected most successful immersive show ever yeah and will always be yeah in my opinion it's it's a it's a platform for immersive experiences yeah is what it is like they've, they've built it and like and that's sort of the funny thing and you, and you see them investing in 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 this stuff and you see the whole theme park world you know, there's all this money flowing into like Abu Dhabi and Dubai, where they're putting all theme parks, which seems perverse in so many ways. But I know a lot of people are pulling down really good paychecks from it. So on, on, it, it's complicated. I feel weird about it. Um, uh, yeah, but um, the uh, the demand is there, mm-hmm. and just the march, you know, opening Shanghai. Just reinvigorating these all these different spaces, and then, you know, the the all the parks feel like they're always at capacity. Yeah, you know, um, that day a week ago I was there. You know, it was it was the day after Tower finally shut down. It was like January third or something like that. It was one of the busiest freaking days I've ever seen at the park, and I flash back to like ten years previously, and I think I had been there on like 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 a Saturday in January. In like maybe maybe it was two thousand maybe mm-hmm. it was two thousand one so not ten years ago it feels that only feels <laughs> sixteen years ago whatever Ugh. Um, and and I remember going there getting we got into the park at like seven and the park was closing at ten mm-hmm. and we ran the table we got on some things twice oh my god right so it was like Indiana Jones Haunted Mansion Pirates of the Caribbean Star Tours Matterhorn. Space Mountain, like everything. We got on everything. We just running Dumbo. Just sort of like, we stopped, took photos, right? You know, we ran from place to place to place to place. No problem. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I got on fewer rides over 12 hours the other day wow. with a whole other park being open. The California Adventure wasn't even open. Just downtown Disney was open back in those days. Um, and so it's clear to me that, you know, unless something you know, stupid happens, the demand isn't going to go away. Yeah. And just the capacity has to be built and the capacity is not going to all be built in Anaheim. And there's, there's, there's a room for this, this middle class work to happen, you know, in big cities and in smaller cities and become places where people go to. Well, it should be also be aspirational for young artists creating and creating unique uh, immersive experiences to know that 
Disney does hire yeah. those left of center visionaries yeah. to come in and do what might be the, the most boring show in the entire world, like the Snow White experience. But it's still an opportunity. Yeah. It's still a, a, a way to support yourself as an artist. And I, I, I've talked to people. I was and, like, and it's going to touch like millions of people. Like if you're if you're building, pulled into like doing Imagineer design for like an attraction, yeah. millions of people. And like create create a vision and a perspective that you can translate outside of whatever company you have, and then just go off not off the books, but like don't go use your company name. Like I was sitting with. Um, with Matt from, uh, or not, not Matt, from uh, Nick from uh, Screenshot. Yeah. And we were chatting, we had uh, breakfast. And, you know, like, take the vision you have, the understanding of um, and point of view, and just go out and do it elsewhere. Yeah. Like, do you don't have to use Screenshot or Wilderness or whatever your name is for your company yeah. to say that it's like, you know, Wilderness is curating uh, a theme park attraction. But use your vision yeah. to do that, and that can subsidize so many, so much more. <coughs> I've I've watched I've watched companies make the mistake of of wanting to have their name on a, a big piece of IP, and and losing the contract, yeah, and and losing the company because of that, yeah, and um, you know, it, it's funny because it, it all comes out in the end. Right, like you know, I, I think about I think about the f- people I know who are big Disneyania fans, and they will sit there and they will talk in depth about the personality quirks and artistic, you know, predilections of specific Imagineers, mm-hmm. uh, and they will curate art shows in in um, retrospectives that are homages to those artists. Um, that that kind of legacy, you know, is it, you, anyone would be lucky to have that. And and part of it's like it's funny. It's like you know, have the big vision, chase the things, don't let your ego get in the way. Yeah. Right. Like it's 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 a very weird line to walk. And it's not not. I don't ever look at it as selling out. I think it, I look at it as selling out. It, it's your company doing it but if it's you as an individual doing it yeah that's fine like i think i think there are circumstances when it gets cheesy to like you're creating cool immersive work and suddenly you're doing something for dairy queen as your company yeah that's when it becomes a little like is this really like i hate this term but is it is it really on brand for <laughs> that to happen well and I, think we both, I think we both know that there there's some companies that like when they do take a branded gig, they deliberately keep their name off in yeah. order to keep the the taint of the branded, you know, sell up. Yeah, and it adds yeah. value to the brand that it can't be bought. Yeah, um, you're, even I, if the people can, the ideas can be bought. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, so wholesale. You know, yeah. Like Woodshed, they everyone on Woodshed, they all take corporate work or. Um, you know, like major funded work on the side, I think but it's the, never associated with the woodshed. Yeah, I think the trick here, and the thing, I think the, the thing, I think New York has a very good, and maybe it's a relationship to Madison Avenue and some of the companies that are there. I think what's interesting is like there's there's companies here in LA who who the artists are reaching that tier or have already reached that tier of some of the folks in New York. Um, and definitely if they have more resources yeah. it would be happening like no question uh, and they aren't necessarily being tapped by 
uh, experiential marketers and in corporate gigs and all yeah. this sort of stuff in the same way. And like folks in fact are still being, you know, pulled out from the, the right coast to the left coast in order to do things out here. And I don't wanna I don't wanna be taking gigs out of anyone's pockets. But at the same time it it, it feels like back to like the FOMO thing, back to like the Instagram and, and, and getting all this, you know, getting the buzz going. There's enough talent to go around. There's there's yeah. enough people on both coasts. There should be more and more of this sort of work happening in order to I mean, it's nice to want things, right? In order to like get all of our artists paid. But on the level of the, the marketing side, in order to really get people excited about stuff that might otherwise be kind of kind of dumb, yeah. you know, like, and there's just all these opportunities. Like every every day is an opportunity for something like that to happen. People like going to things mm-hmm. because we stare at screens all day long. It gets back to the fundamental thing of why I think immersive as a, f- a form is is having this renaissance. Yeah, is that we all carry around a proscenium in our pocket. It's called our cell phone, and we view the world through that lens. Yeah, and then what we really want is we want something that that gets us to a very big sense of presence, and. That's that's what all the VR people chase is this idea of presence, and it's definitely what all the people in the immersive theater are chasing. Like you feel like you're somewhere else. You feel like you're you feel like in a world that's realer than the world inside your phone. Yeah. Because the real world is now inside our phones, and it feels very surreal. Yeah. And I think also looking geographically and looking at like where we are in LA in comparison to New York or Chicago or wherever. Look at what the culture is doing. Mm. Sometimes your work has you you ha, you can't just create in a void. You have to like at least if you're going to go on a level of like opening your show and trying to make money off of it. Like right. you can certainly create in a void till the cows come home. Yeah, on your own and hope people like your work. But if you're creating like a a company that you want to make money and you want to have an audience, you have to look at the culture of, of LA and like so. LA is built on car culture, and you know, I don't think people. And I don't have a car, yeah. so I am a little bit more aware of the way that people act yeah. because of cars, but it changes the entire dynamic. Like, I'm not sure that Pump Trunk would work here, because one of the things that makes the show so successful, at least Sleep No More, is that after communal experience of sitting and drinking and talking and getting so drunk that it adds to... Your yeah. experience. Yeah. And they had the bar in Drowned Man and they've had bars in their other shows and they actually used to do like nightclub related activations like back, back, back in the day. You know, like people have to drive. Yeah. And if people, I've, I've encountered, if people do stuff in LA, it's like a whole night. Like it's a whole, it needs to be like a fully realized experience. And so yeah. like one of the things that I love, I'm like a huge supporter of is um, Disco Dining Club. Mm. And I went to the one that they did this summer. Um, I didn't get to go to their New Year's one, which they did like a Blade Runner-themed one. Yeah. But the reason I love it is because it has everything. It has food culture. It has drinking culture. It has theatrical culture. And I know my friend Jenny Weinblum is helping out with their next one, which is the they're Fabergé doing like one. a Fabergé yeah. edition. Yeah. Um, so she's adding some really cool theatrical um, elements to it. And then it has nightlife. So it's truly like a fully packaged deal. Yeah. Um, and I just, I love what Courtney and Eric are doing with it. I think there's so much potential for it to grow. Um, 
And I think that's where people need to look at. I think people need to look at, and I, and I know the alcohol game is challenging. Yeah. Uh, and we talked about this a while ago. Um, but I think people need to look at that full, not just the show, but like yeah. the full experience. Yeah. Um, Four Larks did it really well, um, but the tempta- Temptation of St. Anthony, because they had like a pre-show and this really cool curated art environment and then a more traditional proscenium show, which is st- still not totally traditional, but totally amazing. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite shows ever. <laughs> it was one of my favorite shows last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, like... Matt, who runs a company, probably thinks I'm the biggest weirdo because I'm just the biggest <laughs> fanboy for them. Um, and, you know, then it had like a lounge afterwards and it had bands play and, you know, drinking Turn, and turning everything. Turning to a venue. Yeah, Turn it was, it venue was like an experience. Yeah. And it, like it uh, expressed their vision and their, their artistic eye full through. Yeah. So it wasn't just contained to the show. It was everything that was part of it. And, you know... Um, uh, Wilderness, the Wilderness show, um, also had that kind of full experience. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's you know looking at that and like imagining what how could that how could that format expand? How could that you know it doesn't have to be like a, a drink show after, but it can be something format. Well, and then like I know like there's 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 um, uh, Drunken Devil is a company that that yeah. out of the the haunt scene and like they've been doing parties. And then they've got the same kind of you know setup. Uh, and that's Matt Dorado, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I believe it is. And um, so they're doing, you know, it's like their next show is like in February. It's like the pre-sales are done. It's like seventy-five bucks. And it's like a haunted Mar- uh, Mardi Gras party, right? Yeah, yeah. Hearted, yeah, yeah. Bloody Gras is is this next one. I think it's February twenty-eighth. I want to say, and um, it's in the latest issue of the newsletter, which will be out um, well by the time people hear this one. Um, <coughs> We, we've hit the cap on MailChimp, so I New York went out, and then I was like, ready to send LA, and it's like, oh, you're over the limit. I'm like, oh, I gotta go do it tomorrow. Okay, and gotta rethink. Maybe maybe New York and LA can't go out the same weekend. They're the two biggest ones. Um, gotta think about that. But um, we, um, yeah, no, they've got they've got you know magicians coming in. They've got a storyline. They've got some puzzle stuff happening, and they've got you know dancing at the end of the night. So like they get a bar dancing yada 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 yeah. and um, and I would have put I would have put a disco dining club in this issue that I did today as well, uh, but like literally like no no link for the tickets this time. But I think probably because they're sold out. I don't think they've gone out yet. Oh, interesting. I think they were supposed to go out this week and they haven't gone out yet, um, but they should be going out soon. Yeah, I put I put a link in the note, so hopefully. Yeah, because I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any announcement about it. Yeah. so I don't think they've gone out. Because I, I visited. I didn't. I if didn't, they sold out already, I'd be very mad because I want to go. <laughs> like I, saw, I saw. like Abe, my buddy Abel got like a card. Uh, so they, like, they do a hard mail. Okay. Um, yeah. But maybe there's maybe they're releasing tickets after. Yeah, um, I saw something on Facebook that said like it was like a note on the eighth said like next you know going out next week. So maybe it's maybe it's this next week it's going to happen. I've okay. lost track of. I've no sense of time <laughs> right now. Um. Because this, because it's on the twenty eighth. It's the twenty eighth. Yeah, the yeah. last so, Saturday of yeah. month. I should really, I should, I should find a way to weasel my way into it. Like I, because um, I haven't been yet. I saw, I saw the setup for the one that was done in the basement at Max Senate. I, that's when I went to. Yeah. That was the um, Shanghai Express one. Yes, yeah. I saw yeah. that setup, and I thought like that was a really cool thing they were doing, and it smelled fantastic. Well, the neat part of and the thing that I particularly <laughs> loved about it was you sit down, you have this dinner. It's only about forty five people. It's great. You're having fun. You're meeting new people, talking. Like I met um, Jenny, who runs Strange LA, the cool. Instagram yeah. Um, blog. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so we chatted about all the weird stuff that she gets to go and see and do and everything. Um, and just as you're finishing your dinner and you've had a couple drinks and you're a little tired and you're like ready to call a night, they like surge in 60 or 80 more people into yeah. the room that are all like ready to party. Because they, they separate the dinner from this like part, just a party group. Yeah. And so like there's like this whole pickup of energy oh, wow. in the experience. And so suddenly it's like second wind ready to go and party oh, and wow. like dance and have a great time. Um, and Courtney's really mixed in with like nightlife and the yeah. nightlife community too. So she always, you know, gets the best DJs and everything. So Yeah. No, it's good. And and that's something this year that we're gonna I've been trying to like pay more attention to because I, I do think like the format the format of what constitutes an immersive experience is is mutating and what the what what the audience is interested in you know I think there's a huge amount of people who want like the narrative and then there's also a lot of people like they they just they they want there's the whole level where I want to have a good time I want to have something that's different you know I'm kind of sad I missed the Blade Runner thing that was going on and that was like that was interesting because it was like the Disco Dining Club was one part of it there was a burlesque show that was happening and there was the dance thing and so it was like this tripartite thing yeah and then like some of the actors I knew one of the actors who was brought in to like play Pris and I was like oh look who's it is and someone who's worked with the, the Speakeasy Society before and I'm like oh you know it's oh, just they're, they're great too yeah I saw Johnny yeah I went and saw Johnny and that yeah. was great I had such a great time yeah and that and then and, and it's interesting because like uh, you know what they're doing right now is they're doing like actually like smaller stuff where it's yeah. like you know here's here's a slice of of this bigger story and so there's there's all this great experimentation going on right now and um, um and, and I, I definitely see the there's there's cliques of fans who now exist who like travel to things together some of them are like coming out of like the haunt community mm-hmm. right because like those folks are like really like hungry like year round for stuff yeah. and so they're kind of pulling in and so I, I've got this great hope that we're going to get to a point in the next couple of months where you know we're not going to necessarily have to face the problem um, you know like the punch drunk had right near that runway at the start of the show but like we've got enough companies that, that are known quantities that when the tickets go on sale like the opening weekend just gone, yeah. gone, gone. So that the, the shows can start, they can start thinking about, all right, we want to build in extensions. We want to know that we can like add a weekend, a weekend, weekend yeah. uh, on the back end. I also, um, I like mentally put it in because I was like, oh, maybe I'll bring it up. But um, some things that I would love to see. Oh yeah, please. Like um, we talked about the music stuff. I think doing some like interpretation of music and possibly even working, like contacting estates and pitching like a state's uh, ideas for like immersive shows and use of music and that kind of thing. Um, but another thing I would love to see is uh, to people to capitalize on the geography and find unique stories within LA that could become immersive that are like, you know, you, it could tap into uh, either a local like tourist spot that's really popular yeah. and creating a show around that I, I specifically bring this up because I was watching um, Parts Unknown mm. a while back and they did a sec, uh, our show on Koreatown mm. um, and it was just about like what's happening in Koreatown and it might have been LA but their focus was Koreatown um, and they started to talk about like the riots in yeah. the 90s and they talked about how uh, there was a portion where um the violence was getting pushed into Koreatown and business owners were like literally defending their property with guns and like standing on roofs and like 
just hearing that like tension is like crazy to me and I'm like that would be an amazing experience and like <laughs> and, and personally I would yeah. love to see um, diversity in immersive theater I would yeah. love to see more like um, stories about the black experience or um, a specific moment of like black culture that hasn't been explored and I don't know if that means like there's uh, a story told from the perspective of these Korean shop owners and then at the same time there's a separate show in Compton that's about like an immersive show that's about the riots but from um, the black community I just I want their like I lived in Harlem for so many years and I got really connected into that community and I always wanted to see stuff up there that was from a, a, a cultural perspective that we haven't seen I know that I know that for a while Watts Village Theater Company uh, and, and, and I think predating a lot of the, the current uh, companies, they would work in site-specific form. Um, I know that David Mack, who was working with Heidi Deckler... And, yeah, I met David at yeah. the, that, that event. And he... Yeah. And they did... They did that... Um, the, the show in the movie theater recently. It was over before December. They did like an installation, like an old abandoned movie theater. It was with Heidi Deckler. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the... the um, Oh god, I can't remember the name of it, but he was over in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. like they did that. They did that one, and then, um, but like before that, he was working with Watts Village Theater Company like years ago, and I haven't seen them. I, I monitor their website, and it's been it's been like a year and a half. I think they've done something site like site specific, or that that felt like it might be site specific, and then there's. Um, there's a group here in town called Los Angeles Poverty Department that uh, works with um, folks on Skid Row. Oh, cool. And uh, in Radar LA, like the first year of Radar, Radar LA, we only had two, which was um, a collaboration with Under the Radar in New York uh, on a Red Cat. Um, they did a piece that was about being in jail. And so it was... It was um, Kind of like bordering on immersive in that they got a bunch of uh, jail cell bunks and like filled a space at the LATC, the Los Angeles Theater Center, uh, with those bunks, and then like everyone was brought in, like you were led to a bunk, and that was your mm-hmm. that was your seat. So the staging was environmental, um, and then the uh, there was like kind of a series of monologues, that kind of took place all around, um, and then at the end they made like the. I don't, I don't know what you call it, but it's like this, this, this kind of this jailhouse stew of like involving Fritos and a bunch of other kind of like kind of in ramen and it's yeah. like made in a with in a, in garbage bags, uh, which was gross. Honestly, it's gross, <laughs> and and I feel bad that that's like a luxury in jail. I'm like, oh my god, like what the hell is going on in our society? Uh, which is the point. <laughs> the point is like, oh, wow, we're fed a treat at the end, and the treat is uh, a nightmare. Um, and so they, so it was a really, really visceral work, um, definitely kind of like in the, in the agitprop mode yeah. of, of theater. Um, I saw a show um, a couple years ago that St. Anne's did in New York that was immersive and it was spectacular. It was called A Roadkill. Um, and I think it was either a, uh, a South African or a British company that came in and did it. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but you actually went to St. Anne's and they led you out and you got into a bus oh. and the show started on a bus and the show was about um, sex trafficking. Oh my God. And so you meet these two women who have just come from Africa and they're getting settled and you start, slowly start to realize that 
they're They'd going to a house to get trafficked and yeah. be contained in this house. So then they took you, the whole audience, to this like townhouse in Brooklyn. Um, and you go in, and there was like a scene at the beginning, and then everyone goes up to the main parlor area, and it was only probably like 20 people in the audience. Um, and you see this whole show in this apartment. Well, it was, it was a full townhouse, but in this whole townhouse about these women being trapped there. And it was so intense when I saw it. And it was like the dead of summer. And there was like an audience member that fainted mid-show. Yeah. Because it was like so it's hot and visceral intense. and intense. Yeah. And like there was a part where like the audience kind of like, had, it was like a freeform part where we would, you could go upstairs and it was like <coughs> people getting like simulated raped upstairs. Yeah. And it was a spectacular show. Yeah. And also something I would just, and it's not something like you, it sounds weird to say, like, out loud. Like, something I would like to see more. I'd love to see more simulated rape and yeah. uh, sex trafficking. No, I would not. Um, um, well, there's, but there's it was a, bunch really, of, a bunch of the extreme horror stuff will do that for you. Um, yeah, I know, no, but, but it was yeah. it was a, it was a remarkably specific show about a, a topic um, that had a multicultural cast, and it was interesting and told um, a really, it told about, like, a really important social issue and I want to see that more. Like, I want to see... What's interesting, you just mentioned, like... There's a lot of fantastical. And I would yeah. love to see a little bit more reality. Well, the, <laughs> I, it, it hasn't... It starts on January 19th, and I don't know... I don't know when I'm going to release this one, um, uh, this, this episode. It might be before or after that. Uh, but Cornerstone Theater, and if memory serves, like, they've got... They actually have their theater theater, I think, is in the Arts District. Um, but they, they've, they've done some specific work. They did... I think they did a piece last year that um, was about like a, a, a Native American gathering. Mm-hmm. I think they were, I think that was a theater company that was doing that. But um, uh, they've got one right now. They're about to do called Fellowship. That's running from January into February, and it's going to be site specific uh, in that it it's about people. It's about people who are working at a food bank, volunteers working at a food bank. Um, and then, like the 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 spirit of hunger shows up as part of the show, so like a little magic realism sounds like. <coughs> the trick is that they're going to be performing it at actual food banks. Amazing. And the audience is going to be put to work putting together like lunch kits that the food banks put together. So it's called Fellowship, a play for volunteers. And the audience, and it's, it's a pay-what-you-can show, and the audience will be used as volunteer labor for the food banks as part of the show while you're at the food bank. Oh, my God, I have an, audience, show. I have an audience for this. There's a group out of West Hollywood for, called Gays, for, Gays Who Do Good, and it's just like a Saturday I, activity I, group that they I, go and do food banks all the time. I will email you the link. Yeah, no, and, and so it's, uh, and, and, you know, um, I didn't. I didn't see the cornerstone piece last year, so like I can't. I can't testify one way or another. You know, and it sounds like it. It sounds like a piece of site adaptive. It sounds like it's going to be more like there's a play going on in the space where it would naturally happen, but it's going to be a play. So, but you know, while the play's going on, I think you're going to be bringing packaging stuff up, and I kind of really love that. That's <coughs> this. That's this. Like, you know, you're going to be you're going. Interaction means, from a technical standpoint, that some amount of labor is going on, and that labor might as well be used towards a really great end. Yeah, uh, and that's that's, also, that's just like smart producing to yeah. to like recognize a problem and 
to come in and present something that's not only interesting in its content, but also solving a problem, which is, you know, labor to help build these food boxes. And I think any artist could look at coming into that perspective of building a show out and saying like, what, what, (coughs) you know, if we go back a little bit to architecture or to real estate and say like, what does this area need? Like it needs more foot traffic. It needs like what, like what show could I create that would get a ton of foot traffic to come through? Maybe not paid, but foot traffic or what could, you know, like that food experience or it's coming into and like being problem solver, being a problem solver. And that could could really bring a lot of opportunity, a lot of potentially donated space. Yeah. If it's doing something like, like what if you went into a building, you said like, our show is painting. Like, if painting's involved during our show, and over the course of the show, we'll pay this entire building. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you know, and then, like, that's where I, what I, that's yeah. like a dumb example, but, like, a landlord might see that and be like, oh, yeah, you can definitely do the show for free if you're going to paint the building. Yeah. Um, but, but, the, but, I, but, but, just to roll it back to that, that's, that, that basic level, yeah, like, identify a problem and use art to solve it. Whoa. Whoa. I think that's a good place for us to end on. I like that. I think so. Particularly because it's a super optimistic way of viewing the world, and I could use more of those right now. Yeah, I know. I tried to, I tried to get into sex trafficking and take it dark. <laughs> we brought it back for no. good. Yes, I did. I did. Um, John, thank you so much. Of course. Thank oh, wait. You. How can uh, people want to connect with you? Um, <coughs> like using the, the, the tools of the social media, how would they do that? Um, my Instagram name is mrjomalley. I have a frog in my throat. Um, just find me, John O'Malley. Um, okay. Redhead. Cool. Thank you, John. Once again, I want to thank our guest, John O'Malley, for being on the show here today. Let's just run down real fast all the basic details as you want to know them. Music for the show, as always, is Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can contact us at nopersinium.com, where you find all the links. That's how you get the newsletters, all the new newsletters, new newsletters. Uh, at No Persinium is our Twitter feed. Um, my personal Twitter, which I am rather prolific about, even though Twitter is now the devil. Uh, at Noah J. Nelson. Email us if you want to get involved in our Slack, if you want to tell us about shows, all those things. There's one way to do it. No underscore proscenium at outlook.com. That's the best way to go. You want to support this show like Tim Redman and Taylor Winters of Haunting Mag did this time? Well, patreon.com slash no proscenium. That's how you do it. If you want to check out the stuff that we write about immersive theater and VR and all that kind of stuff. You go to medium.com slash no dash proscenium. I don't make the medium rules. Medium.com slash no dash proscenium. And that's how you find all that good stuff from me, from Zay, and from other special guests. Um, A lot of the contributors, a lot of the curators. That's it. This has been a massive episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. There's a lot going on. I'm going to be out in the world again. I may be the guy coughing at the show. I hope I'm not. I really want to stop coughing. It's been 20 days. Um, So, listen for the sound of my hacking lungs when you're out there. 
I can't really do the tagline off of that. So let me find something else to say, and then I'll do because it's got to flow. It's got to have a segue. You know what? Interesting times calls for interesting people. And there are a lot of interesting people who listen to this show who are making interesting work. And I'm looking forward to being out there and seeing as much of it as possible. We got another show coming up next week. It's going to be pretty good. We've got a few in the can. I haven't decided which one I want to want to send off to you guys yet. But rest assured, we'll be here with a new podcast. And until then, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>